Hi, this is Carol Yu and Scott Stewart. We are This Is You Podcast. Welcome to episode number nine. We're going to talk about gratitude and motivation and the chef show and entomophagy. What is that? How do you even pronounce that? Is that how you pronounce it? Entomophagy? <laughs> That's how I pronounce it. It's probably wrong, but okay. what you going to do? Well, first we're going to talk about the chef show. So let's go back in time to 2014. There was a movie called The Chef. And at that time, Dara was on MasterChef Junior. And that was about the time that I was starting to get very interested in food. So we saw the movie Chef. And John Favreau was the director. And he was actually, oh, actually, was he the director? Maybe he wasn't the director. No, I believe he was the writer and director. But he was in it, too. He starred in it, Yeah, remember? he was uh, triple threat. He was Carl Casper. So the story was that Dustin Hoffman was this very um, pushy owner of a very high-end restaurant that Carl Casper was the chef at. And... Dustin wanted everything to be done his way. So John Favreau, who played Carl, said, no way, I want to do it my way. And so he ends up quitting and launching a food truck business with his ex-wife, Vavavavoom, Sophia Vergara, and John, how do you say his name? Leguizamo? Yeah. And um, MJ Anthony, his son. So they launch a food truck, and it's called El Jefe, and they make Cubanos. So Cubanos are a really delicious um, Cuban sandwich. So the venture, it really gives him a way to reignite his passion and his motivation for cooking. Motivation is what we're going to be talking about later. It also gives him a renewed zest and gratitude for life and love. So now, six years later, John Favreau has paired up with Roy Choi again. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I need to go back because in May 2014, I actually met all these guys and it was really cool. Um, we went to a big pop-up restaurant called El Jefe and it was serving Cubanos with John Favreau and with chef Timothy Hollingsworth, who used to be a French laundry chef, and now he actually heads up Odium Restaurant, which is downtown Los Angeles at the Broad Museum. Rory Herman was also there at this pop-up. He was director of Bill Chait's culinary operations. Rory has an amazing uh, background. He worked with chef Timothy at the French laundry in Napa, and he worked at uh, Per Se, which is also Thomas Keller's restaurant in New York, and at uh, several other very high-end restaurants on the East Coast. Now, Bill Chait, he is the grandfather restaurateur behind Los Angeles Uber hotspots, Republic, Bestio, Bestia, Soto. We got to meet Bill, too, at this time. And we got to meet Roy Choi. So Roy was the stylist, the food stylist on the movie Chef. So here they all were getting together and making a pop-up. And at the, restaurant, at the movie theater, you could see the movie Chef. 
And then you can go have the Cubanos at the restaurant next door. And we also met Jordan Ogron, who now is an owner of a restaurant named Tess with Bill Chait. So anyway, what's interesting now is six years later, they've put together the chef show. Now, have you watched many episodes, Scott? How many have you watched? Um, I've seen bits and pieces of it, just kind of sitting down while you're watching it here and there. Right. Which ones did you watch? Do you remember? Um, I watched the one where there was a guy on there and he was making some food. <laughs> no, okay. the last the last one we watched was with the Italian chef when they were talking about pizza. Oh, right. And, Pisano. Uh, yeah, Pisano. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had, uh, they went through boxes and boxes and boxes of artichokes. Right. That's one of their favorite, uh, one of the most ordered dishes. Yeah. So what's interesting about this this TV show called The Chef Show, which is on Netflix, is that Jon Favreau and Roy Choi both have really uh, amazing careers in previous lives. So Jon is a film director. He's in the entertainment industry. And he used to be actually in finance. Um, he actually says that on the TV, on the chef show with Candace Nelson. So Candace Nelson, who used to own Sprinkles, it in this one show, um, they're talking about making a chocolate ganache cake. And Roy Choi says that he used to sell mutual funds. And John says he used to be in finance. And Candace says she was too. So they were all in previous lives. Um, in finance. And then all of a sudden they found somehow within themselves to be able to become uh, food people. So what they do in this show is they explore and they experiment with their favorite recipes and their techniques. They're baking, they're cooking, they're exploring, and they're collaborating with well-known film and food guests. So there were three volumes. So eight episodes in volume one uh, were they actually launched on Netflix on June 7th, 19, 2019. Volume two, which is six episodes, launched in September. And then volume three launched in February of uh, 2020, just about a few weeks ago. So what was interesting on the ones that I've watched, I've watched six of them from volume three. The first one is they go, the first three, they go to Las Vegas, So first they go to visit Wolfgang Puck and they try many different kinds of steaks and they show cooking six or seven different types of steaks. And so what's interesting is you get to see a variety of steaks, how they're marbled, they cook them in various ways, and then they eat them all. So they go anywhere from Japanese Kobe to T-bones to prime rib. Then they also next hop on over to Mary Sue Milliken and Susan Feniger's vegetarian dishes at the Border Grill. Now, she started in Los Angeles. They both started in Los Angeles. They've been partners for over 20 years. And the Border Grill was this restaurant in Los Angeles in Santa Monica on 4th Street that had this beautiful, bright painting and um, it's a restaurant that I remember after I moved to Los Angeles that was very bright and food that I've never tasted before. I'd not eaten Mexican food before when I grew up in South Bend. So I found that Mary Sue Milliken and Susan Feniger, their food is clean and fresh. And now they've got this restaurant, also the Border Grill in Los Angeles. 
And they're very inspiring. Susan Feniger is a really wonderfully friendly person. Um, Dara and I met her previously at No Kid Hungry events. And um, they do a lot of salads on that. And it's very interesting. They're very simple salads, but they look like something that I would be able to do. Then the third place that's interesting in Las Vegas is they go to Best Friend. So Best Friend is Roy Choi's new restaurant. It's basically an art exhibit of his life. There are a lot of stickers all over. There's Korean memorabilia stuck behind glass, um, like lucite shelves. And then what you have to do is you go through this rubber. What are those things that are hanging in butchers between the freezers? What are those things called? They look like uh, car wash strips. So they go through this freezer rubber into his restaurant. And there you get a lot of his Korean food. So the other three interesting episodes that I've watched are Wexler's Dairy. So Micah Wexler has a restaurant downtown Los Angeles in the uh, Grand Central Market. And he basically takes different food traditions from around the world and makes them his own, but makes them into Jewish deli food. And then we have Sam Raimi, and he um, is a director. What has he directed, Scott? Uh, Most recently, he directed 1917. Oh, right. Oh, I didn't realize that. And and Spider-Man, right? He did the Uh whole Spider-Man. So it's really interesting because John Favreau makes sourdough bread and teaches Sam Raimi how to make sourdough bread in that episode. So then the last one that I saw is Candace Nelson, who started... Sprinkles Cupcakes in 2005. She now has 31 shops across the country. She teaches uh, Roy and John how to make a chocolate ganache cake. So it's really interesting when they were talking, they were talking about what is it about watching people eat on TV versus making the food? Because I watch basically TV food shows all the time. That's basically what I watch on TV. And I'm just thinking, why is it that I love watching people eat so much? Uh, Seeing new restaurants, thinking about places that I could go, watching chefs cook at these restaurants, wanting to go to those places. I guess what it is, it's a form of escapism. Basically, it's food related, which I love. And I'm able to think about, well, maybe I can go to those restaurants someday. And the thing that's interesting is now with the chef um, show, the food to me, maybe because I've watched so many shows um, over the years, somehow the food on this seems very down to earth, very homey. And it seems like food that I would be able to make. And But the thing is, I don't make it. And why is that? I guess it's food that you can... Um, aspire to. And then if you make it, then someday you may make it. Maybe I will make it someday. Anyway, let's move on. Guys, I have a new segment, Things That Go Crunch. The world's population is going to grow to an estimated 9 billion by 2050. That's a lot of hungry people to feed every day. And if you find yourself one day running out of food, have I got an option for you. Edible insects. Let's jump into the This Is You private jet and fly around the world and visit the different countries where we can learn about the things that go crunch. 
This segment is sponsored by Toothpicks and Dental Floss. Remember, four out of five dentists, after a big dinner of locust, recommend Toothpicks and Dental Floss. Since we will be talking about the amount of protein in each one of our crunchy friends, I thought for comparison, I would mention some items we've eaten and its protein count. All protein is based on 100 grams. Number one is a sirloin steak. It has 27 grams. Number two is tuna with 26 grams. Three, tofu, nine grams. One egg is eight grams. And a protein bar is approximately 25 grams. Our first stop is found in Africa, Asia, South America, and the Netherlands. It has 20 grams of protein. Ladies and gealmen, please say hello to the tasty mealworm. It can be boiled, roasted, fried, or if you're a tangerine tornado leopard gecko, you eat them raw. Mealworms are said to have the flavor of a nutty shrimp. Next, we are jetting off to Australia for the Wachetti grub which is traditionally eaten by the Aborigines. It can be eaten raw or roasted. These little critters are 16 grams of protein, but if you're trying to watch your weight, be careful. They are very fatty. And just like everything else, when we can't figure out a flavor, when roasted, they taste just like chicken. These next little fellas make beautiful music at night, and no, it's not the three tenors. The cricket can be found in the Americas, Africa, Cambodia, and Thailand. They are usually served on skewers. Imagine ordering those for your next Stanley Cup party. Yeah, I'd like to order some cricket skewers, please. Okay, how many? Uh, how many do you get on a skewer? Uh, two crickets. Uh, okay, then uh, I'm going to need 147 skewers, please. Crickets have 10 grams of protein. Number four, if you like barbecue, you're going to love our next insect. The weevil comes in at seven grams. You can find them in Southern Asia, South America, and Africa, a popular delicacy in Papua New Guinea and Malaysia where they are barbecued. Number five, if you guys are into plagues, might I suggest locust at 18 grams, common to Africa, China, and America. And if you are looking for something kosher, Eight species of locust are deemed fit for consumption under Jewish dietary law. Six. Next, our jet touches down south of the border for what is known as Mexican caviar. Ant eggs are 14 grams of protein. In Mexico, they are commonly served as taco fillings. Number seven. Korea, China, Thailand, and Japan bring us silkworms at 10 grams. I'm thinking with these little critters, it would be very much like a cat having a hairball caught in its throat. Number eight are caterpillars, a popular delicacy in Southern Africa. They are harvested to the tune of 9.5 billion worms each year, also popular in Asia, France, and Belgium. They have 12 grams of protein. Number nine, number nine, number nine, the next insect you want just after it molts, the cicada. It's soft and juicy, popular in Asia and Africa. Unknown protein content here, but don't forget they can also be fried. Mmm, good. Finger licking good. And our final destination, number 10, is Japan for the delicacy of the yellow jacket wasp, also eaten in Mexico, Thailand, Laos, and South America. 17 grams of stinging protein. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Things that go crunch. 
Do you think you would try them? Would you actually eat those kind of things? I, I would. There are a couple things on there. I mean, as long as they're clear to eat, I have no problem chowing on them. I don't know how they would be flavor-wise, and probably you would put some spices with them, a little bit of hot sauce, but I think it would be really interesting to try all of those because at some point, I know there's uh, cricket bars. I've seen some guys on, uh, I think, Shark Tank pushing for cricket bars. So it's basically a protein bar made out of crickets. I thought you meant like a bar where you would go to the <laughs> bar and eat crickets. Yeah. Salty crickets, so you drink more beer. Well, oh, actually, that reminds me. We have a video of Dara when she was about, I think she must have been about two years old, and we were going for a family dinner, and they actually had crickets on the menu, and there's a video of Dara eating a cricket, which we'll, we'll put on the website. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it's I, pretty funny. I lost it. <laughs> But, you know, I know that on those um, shows like Survivor, they'll show them eat these big, juicy, white kind of worms or yeah. caterpillars. Yeah. I, they look like marshmallows, but I don't think they would taste like marshmallows. A little different. <laughs> I don't think I could do that. It's a s'mores made out of caterpillar oh. larvae. <laughs> okay. Well, what would motivate you to, to uh, eat something like that? What do you think? Uh, starvation. Maybe a zombie apocalypse when I'm stuck in a shed and I've got nothing to eat except ant eggs. There's a lot of difference in you and me between motivation. So that brings us to our next subject, motivation. Motivation. Sometimes I feel like that, you know, like I don't have much motivation. When it comes to motivation for you, what's most important? What is it that makes you motivated? What keeps you motivated in your life? Well, it's having a goal, like having a direction, having a purpose that I want to accomplish something. I found as I get older in life that I really enjoy accomplishing things. I always think back to when I was a kid, your accomplishments would happen within an hour. Like you would want something and you would go and get it. You would ride your bike over to the high school, boom, accomplishment, done you'd have instant motivation to do something and the reward would be instant. It would be in such a short period of time. But I find as I get to be moving along in my years that the motivation is difficult to keep up for a longer period of time over a longer project because your projects are longer, they're bigger, they're, they're more encompassing, they involve more people. So it's a real task to uh, stay focused but my drive is always to get it done. Feeling I have a completion when I get things done, that gives me a really good sense of something. But the thing is that is hard for me because I, I do notice that you are very good. You're able to keep motivated for a long period of time. For example, when you built the uh, voiceover booth, mm -hmm. you would get up at 5.30 in the morning and how long did that take you to build? It was months. Yeah, it was a long time because I was just putting in, it's when we had the store. So sometimes I would put in four hours and then other times it would be 20 minutes. Right. But what was what motivated you to, to keep going? Because I find that your motivation, you're able to sustain it for a long time. And I don't understand what um, what within you, I don't understand what within you allows you to continue that motivation for a longer period of time. Well, it's a commitment to getting something completed. So I just get it completed no matter what. I, I don't think along the process. It's like I start it and then I finish it and don't stop in between. It's, it's, it's actually really simple. Just don't stop. Keep going. Do you just not think about it kind of? Or is it just like... Yeah, I don't think about it. 
Like I don't complain about it like, oh, I got to do this. Or I got to do something. It's just getting it done. That's the most important thing. There's nothing else more important than just getting it done. It's really simple. I really look up to that because I feel that you have a strong ability to stay motivated over a long period of time. You're able to set goals and reach them because you keep moving forward. I find that I get distracted and it's hard for me to stay motivated. So I need ways to be able to stay motivated. So, well, I think one of the keys what you just said is you get distracted, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So maybe don't get distracted. Yeah. It depends on what I'm thinking about doing though, right? For example, it took me a really long time to start the blog and start this whole food business. And it was something that I wanted in the back, but maybe it's not a sense of distraction there, but it's a sense of uh, focus. Is that, I guess that's the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a different way to say the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess the thing is that a lot of people say that there are different ways that you can motivate yourself. And a lot of the time it's money and rewards. So for you, like your motivation, what was your motivation for actually building the voiceover booth? Because was it money? Was it rewards? What was it that actually made you want to build the voiceover booth? It's about knowing yourself. So it's having an awareness of what you like. I mean, it's as simple as going into an ice cream store and going, what flavor do I like? You're motivated to pick a flavor rather than standing there and trying different flavors and everything. So if you know yourself, you know strawberry. So you just, you don't lose focus. It's just, I'm going in to get strawberry ice cream. And it's not, it's not to me, not more complicated than that. It's knowing yourself. So with this booth, it allowed me to express myself because I put a, an animation voiceover tape together and I love doing that. I know I love expressing myself in different forms whether it's doing theater or stand-up, ventriloquism, whatever. I get excited by that. So the motivation is to get the booth completed so that I can express myself. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Because I know myself. Mm -hmm. My biggest joy is expressing myself. Right. That's my biggest joy in life. So if I put together things that allow me to express myself, then I'm excited about that. How did you... There must have been a time when you were younger where you were less motivated or you didn't know yourself as well. Yeah. How did you get from that point to now when you know that what's most important is expressing yourself? Yeah, spending a lot of time asking questions about what makes you tick. Right. That's what I do right now all the time. What does that mean? What do you do? What do you So I get up in the morning and I go exercise. During the exercise, I'm listening to different types of podcasts whether they're for spiritual development, whether they're for um, expanding my interest in a field, I'm constantly learning. And that way I internalize it to myself so I can learn about myself. And I hear other people pursuing things, so I get interested, why, how are they able to do it? And then I go, okay, that's how they do it. Well, let me explore it with myself. So was your family like that when you were growing up? Did your parents help you to have that attitude of always trying to explore who you were? No, not at all. The exact opposite. 
I mean, for motivation, my dad always said, you got to have the desire. That was his big go-to on everything. You got to have desire. Did he have a desire? I guess. For? I don't know. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. He, all I know is he said, you got to have the desire. So I learned what the hell that was. Yeah, I mean, it's really different because our family, we didn't have any kind of discussions about desire, about living, about... It. Ours, ours basically was, here, how do you cook something? Um, how do you, you know, do your homework? That's what I remember. So Yeah, welcome to the normal family. <laughs> but then if you were in a family that was not, well, you said your dad always said, you know, what do you desire? But No, he said you've got to have the desire. You've got to have the desire. That's something different. Okay. So you've got to have the desire. So it's also basically saying you've got to have passion. But did he tell you how to get there? Because no, it was cryptic. It's just, you got to have the desire. And then it left me scratching my head for how many years. But I just knew that you got to have the desire. Right. The thing is that I think a lot of people, especially in my family, also in my family, that if you say something like that to me, you have to have the desire. I don't really understand what that means because it was never something that was impressed on me. So... That's why I find when we talk about motivation that I get confused because I don't really understand what it is that I desire, I guess. So exactly. that's why you keep on telling me, you know, since we closed the store for the last two years, basically this is the time to find yourself, to find your passion. So I think I've gotten there a little bit because I know now that food is something that is very passionate. For me, I really love whenever I'm in the kitchen, making things, talking about food, talking about chefs. Mm -hmm. I f find that something that motivates me to want to move forward. I just relate it back to restaurants because I used to work in restaurants as a waiter forever and ever and ever. And it was very simple to see the different types of people that would come into a restaurant. Some of them would know exactly what they wanted. They wouldn't even open the menu. They would just sit down and start looking around for you. And you would come over to the table and they would go bop, 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 and they would get it right away and they'd be gone. And then other people, you had to talk to them. They're like, what's good? You'd give them recommendations. They wouldn't order it. They'd go through the menu. Everyone at the table would be mad at them. Then they'd go over it again, and then they'd order something and they weren't happy with it. And those people, to me, didn't know themselves. That sounds funny because when we first started dating, remember when we would go out for lunch and we would go to uh, one Japanese restaurant, but then sometimes I would say, let's go to a Thai restaurant or we'd be driving and then I would keep changing my mind. So how was it that you got over that? If you could see I didn't. that. <laughs> I never got over it. <laughs> not very motivated or not very, not knowing what I did, what I desired. There are different ways that people can motivate themselves. Like some people are motivated by money or rewards. Um, there's some people that desire to be the best at what they do. Do you find that, like you work really hard at a lot of different things. Is there a desire in you to be the best at what you do? No, do I, don't, I don't think of it like that. I think of it in terms of being the best that I can be. So I'm trying to be the best Scott Stewart. I'm not trying to be the best at something. I'm just trying to be the best Scott Stewart because beyond that, I can't do anything. And I learned that lesson when I used to take yoga up at the Y 
in Hollywood where I went in there and I was, came from a sports background, so I was super competitive. And I would go in there and I'd look around at all these people in the early days, and especially with the girls, they are phenomenally flexible, especially if they've mm. been doing it for a couple of years. And I found it extremely difficult in my head to compete with them because I couldn't even get into like a tenth of the poses that they could do without even thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And they would be breathing and doing all these crazy bends and I would be fighting, 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 thinking I'm trying to better myself, getting better at it. But really what it was, was looking at myself and understanding that the only person I'm in competition with in that room is myself. And from that, I extrapolated that I just want to get good at being Scott Stewart in whatever I do. So in my acting classes, I didn't worry about how I was comparative to other people. I just knew who I am on the inside. And if there's blocks in the way of that, then I would work to remove those blocks. And a, a simple example would be, there is a thing that actors do where they don't really listen to the other actors. They just wait until they deliver their lines. So for a period of time, when I would do my scenes, I would just sit there during the scene and listen. I would practice listening. That was my goal. So I would just focus on that, get that wrapped up, and then I'd move on to something different. Because I noticed that that was a block in me, holding me back from being a better actor. So I worked on that one thing. So comparative, it has nothing to do with anyone else. It's just that's where I was at and how I needed to remove that block in order to get better. There are other common factors that motivate people. One is helping others. So Scott has always been someone that has really watched over our family. He's really tried to get Dara going with her YouTube after MasterChef Junior. Um, he helped her uh, do her uh, food channel. He's helped me get my store going, helped me um, do the food blog, the podcasts, the photography services. So... What is it that motivates you to help others? Because that's something that I find is ingrained in you also. Yeah, exactly. It's like when other people succeed, I succeed. So it's really ultimately super selfish. Really? But how, why, why, does, why does that... If I try and help lift you up, we all benefit from that. Like if you get better at something, we all get better at something. The level, it just raises the bar in the room. Mm -hmm. We all get better at it. So right. why not help other people? It's a lot more interesting to see someone succeed than fail. If you want to see someone fail, then that just stems from insecurity. Right. I guess the thing that's interesting to me is that for some reason, after George died, um, my whole life became about myself and about my daughters and feeling sad and, and, and mad at the world for how we had to deal with this. And so my motivation has always been just survival, taking care of my kids and trying to make sure they move forward and trying to make sure that we have enough money to pay for food for the ta on the table. And it seems it is kind of selfish, but I don't know that I should feel bad about that period of time. Well, you do what you do at a certain period of time. Where the problem actually arises is carrying the thoughts and actions that worked at one point into another part of your life, and it doesn't work in the new part of your life. That's where the issues happen. So maybe at that point, it was just about survival. But now you're at a point in your life where it's about being prosperous and expanding and growing. 
and not just in terms of money. You're not talking about prosperous in terms of money and fame. It's in terms of growth as a person, right? Right. What else do you have? Well, that's the thing that I fight with because I feel like I want to be able to go travel and see the world with you and, and explore and have fun. And, and that's what I want to motivate me, but somehow I'm not able to make it motivate me. All I can see that for me that would work is having some kind of a passion that if I had the ability to just not have to worry about where my money was coming from, I would be able to focus on my passion. I know in some sense that seems wrong because it's kind of putting, it's kind of like a pipe dream, I think. I don't really know how to go about making my life become that. And I don't really know what it can be that can motivate me to get to that point. You know me really well, so what does that, what do you see? I always go back to the same thing. To me, it's really simple, knowing yourself. It's clearing out all the blocks so that you know yourself and you can move forward in a Mm -hmm. direction. That's why there's always, there's so many choices available to you, like left, right, straight, backwards, top. Mm -hmm. It's all confusing Mm -hmm. because you don't know which way you want to go. Right. So it's it's understanding which way you want to go and what what is it that's stopping you from understanding. It's basically asking questions. It's spending some time by yourself asking yourself questions right? that there might not be answers for right now. right? But once you start asking those questions, they start appearing, whether you're reading an article and all of a sudden magically, oh, hey, I was just thinking about that. Or you start talking to someone you bump into at Starbucks and they're like, they start giving you some insight in things. Mm-hmm. In doing research for this podcast, I did come across 10 questions that would help people who need some motivation and questions that you can ask yourself to help figure out why or why not, why you are, or why you are not motivated. So one is what are recent accomplishments that make me feel proud and successful? I think if you're able to look at the good side of your life and look at and be grateful and look at the, the positive accomplishments that you have, that that can give you some motivation to move forward. Have you had experience with that? Like when you've seen what kind of situations have you had where you've had some accomplishments that help to move you forward? Well, I think everything I accomplish helps me to move forward because not only are they accomplishments, they're challenges. Before, there's always sort of, am I able to do this? And am I able to take the idea that I have in my head, set a goal and move it forward? And once I accomplish that, it gives you a sense of yeah, I can do this. Then you can relate it on to new experiences that you've never done, but you can go, well, I did that and this is similar to that, so maybe I can actually do this. Okay. Well, there there's some other questions that I think that I will I am going to be exploring in the next few months. Number two, what is the one step I can take right now to move closer to my goal? I guess the thing is, first I have to figure out my goal, and then I have to figure out the steps to it, which I guess is why planners are so important. People want to be able to figure out their goals and write down step by step how to get there. I guess the thing that you could look at it, there's different ways to look at your motivation. So you can actually be focused on promotion, like you can see your goals as creating a path 
to advancement in a positive way, but you could also look at motivation as being, how do I avoid mistakes? So the one thing is if I did fail to achieve my goals, what would be the consequences? So, you know, if, if a marriage fails, you know, if it doesn't work out, what will happen? Or um, if I'm not able to earn enough money to pay my rent, what would happen? So that could be a motivation, but do you ever have that kind of a negative motivation or are you more positive? No, I, I lean on the positive side of things. Right. Um, what, who do I want to be in the next five years? Who do you want to be in the next five years, Scott? Uh, I want to be taller and thinner and more wealthy. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. So I think in five years, I'd like to be able to travel. I'd like to be able to take you to Italy, to New Zealand, to India, to a lot of places. So what is the good advice that the 70-year-old me will tell the 50-year-old me? So I think that when I'm 70 years old, I want to be able to see this point of my life when I'm 50 as being a time when I've had a large amount of change in my life and been able to grow as a person and to really, like I would say, Carol, grow up and spend time thinking about who you are and your relationship with everyone in your life. That would be a good one. Mm -hmm. What will people say about me when I die? These are all kind of negative. I like the ones that are more positive. If I could turn back time, knowing what I know now, what will I do differently? Okay, I'm at the end of my motivation uh, discussion. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. You can reach us at thisisyou.com. Listen to us here on This Is You Podcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And find us on Instagram at This Is You Official and This Is You Podcast. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you.